All right. Well. Yeah, I guess that's it. Yep. <laughs> well, this has been so great. Yeah, it really has. Um. Oh, oh yes. no, it's sorry. Sure, I thought you were going hug. in sorry. for a hug, so yeah. I we can handshake. Okay. The, uh, oh. Oh. Sorry, I thought we were going to. I thought that, I we, thought that you, you said that. We can't get this right, can we? <laughs> no. Should we? Fist bump. Is that awkward? Yeah, I don't. We don't have to do that. That was stupid. How about you two just kiss? Okay. Great. I now pronounce you husband and wife. So, if this were a uh, a commercial for a Radiotopia fundraiser right now, I'd have an announcer saying, "Hear the world differently." <laughs> On Radiotopia. (laughs) Radiotopia. (laughs) Here with me is Davey Gardner. Hello. He's our associate producer, but he also wrote that sketch that you just heard. Um, What are you thinking about when you're writing that? It only really works in audio. You know, it it would only be possible if you can't see them. So, I, I, I mean, I write sketch at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. And if we did that on stage, it would, you know, you'd see a priest. So it wouldn't yeah, really be it, funny. Would you do it in the dark if you performed it live? Or how have you performed it live? No, I've never performed. No, I wrote it for a mod at UCB. But then we realized after writing it, like, this doesn't work. You know, <laughs> in an early writer's meeting. Well, yeah. today we're going to talk all about how our show is written and the making of our show. Uh, we put a call out on Twitter uh, asking you guys to send in questions. And so we're going to read those and give you guys the answers to the best of our ability. This is a special episode of The Truth. Uh, We're in the middle of our fundraiser for Radiotopia. The theme of the fundraiser is uh, hear the world differently. So you just heard the world differently in that sketch. (laughs) (laughs) And Radiotopia is a really special network. It's not, you know, in in a world where uh, podcasts are becoming more and more commercialized and predictable, Radiotopia really encourages um, creativity and different ways of thinking. All of the uh, producers on Radiotopia own their shows and control their own content. There's no one at Radiotopia telling us what to put on the truth. It's completely guided by us, and for better or for worse, you know. (laughs) But um, we are offering, as part of the fund drive, we're offering the opportunity to sit in on one of our writers' meetings. Either that, it's your choice, or um, get a one-on-one sound design lesson with me. I'm the person who sound designs the show every week. I do all the post-production. So if you want to learn about how we do things and how you might be able to apply those same things to your own work, uh, this would be a good opportunity for you. Uh, We're giving um, one of those two things away, either sit in on our writing meeting or have a a one-on-one sound design lesson uh, for $500. So if that sounds interesting to you, go to radiotopia.fm and donate $500. And we will see you soon. Yeah. Again, that's radiotopia.fm. Okay. So we have some questions we want to look at. Um, we do. Our first question is from at Harvey Maine. Why is the show called The Truth? Who came up with the name? Uh, Hillary Frank came up with the name The Truth. You, some of you may know who she is because she produces a podcast called The Longest Shortest Time. Um, it's not a Radiotopia show, but it's a really... Nonetheless, it's a really fantastic show. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a fantastic show. And Andrea Salenzi is hosting it now, uh, but Hillary still produces it. But Hillary is a really brilliant uh, person. When the truth started, our goal was to 
uh, create a venue on public radio for fiction to exist. It wasn't conceived as being a podcast. It was conceived as being an hour-long show where all kinds of people could produce fiction and it would be a place where it could be heard. Mm-hmm. Because that didn't really exist at the time. It still doesn't exist. If you wanted to get fiction on the, sh- on the radio, you have to you know, find some show that's open to including that in its format and get them to say yes to something. You know? And we wanted to carve out a space where all kinds of things could happen. And so our idea was to call it the truth as a way of sort of justifying its existence alongside all this other reality-based programming that is really the bread and butter of public radio. And um, how do we get them to put on a fiction show in the middle of that? Well, Hillary knew about this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, fiction reveals truth that reality obscures. And so it was saying, well, there's another kind of uh, truth to be explored through fiction, that you can only explore through fiction, and this will be a place for that. So we called it the truth. Um, it turned out it was kind of uh, it wasn't. Maybe we could have thought of something better because now when you search for the truth online, it's really. <laughs> um, but so far, we've managed to build an audience. So that's where the truth oh. comes from. Another question we've got: uh, What moments? This is from Andy Board Law. What moment slash effect did you spend hours and hours creating that no one ever noticed? <laughs> it's a very funny question. All of them. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> now, you know what takes the longest is Foley. Um, and what is that, that for people? So, yeah. so whenever you hear a story and like, let's say someone gets up off of a couch, walks across the room and pours a drink. All of those sounds, I need to place into the piece. Like those, the actor isn't doing those things. I mean, they, they could... But I would still want to add sounds because what it sounds like when you're recording with actors isn't really what it feels like to do those things. And so Foley is like creating the feeling that movement is happening in the scene. Um, and it's really tedious and and no one ever notices it. Like <laughs> like the point of it is that you don't notice it. Like aren't drawn attention, aren't being pulled away from the story because nothing's there. Kind of like the drummer of the band. You yeah, know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it fills in a space where you, you, that would be distracting. Right. Right. Um, and so um, <laughs> that, that happens in every piece. And I swear writers give me the most complicated Foley things <laughs> like, Oh my God, I'm going to spend hours on this sequence. <laughs> but if you don't do it right, it'll totally blow the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have another question. From Diary Podcast, do you hire actors to record the episode? If so, can you tell us what the casting process for that is like? Do you have a certain voice in mind when you record an episode? Yes, we hire all of our actors. Mm -hmm. They're all paid. Um, We go through, it depends on who we're casting. Sometimes we cast actors we've worked with before. Um, But if it's a new performer who we've never worked with before, then we'll audition actors. And then... What are we thinking of when we're casting? We're thinking of what is the function of this character in the story? And how can you represent that function through the way that the actor feels? Yeah, I think it, and also uh, we have to look out to see if any actors sound too similar. Yeah, that's huge. No, it's a big problem. 
I have another question from Diary Podcast. How long does it take to write one episode? Also, are all writers in-house talent, or do you ever accept scripts from outside sources? My preference is to start with a pitch. Really, nowadays, it's a treatment. And, and develop that into a story over the course of a couple months. We changed our writing process recently. And um, it used to be that we just had a lot of stories going on and, um, and I had a group of people I would work with regularly and, and when they finished a story, they'd pitch a new idea. And it was sort of like this group of people who were just kind of at different stages of, of writing a story. And there were a lot of problems that emerged out of that process that Davey has helped uh, solve <laughs> by having what we call now our writing cycles. These are six-week periods where we write four stories concurrently. We get the writers for them by um, having a call for submissions where we'll ask maybe 10 or 15 different writers to submit treatments. And then from those, we pick four stories. So the most recent four stories that we did came from our first writer cycle. Uh, it was um, The Saint of Machine, Cakery Bakery. Murder at Cakery Bakery, mm-hmm. November 31st. And then we have a piece coming up next week by Mac Rogers uh, called The Unremarkables. And uh, those are the first four stories that we've made this way. And so we have another four stories that we're finishing up right now that we're going to start producing, and they're going to be released in January and February. So the answer to your question is six weeks, uh, but we're starting with a fairly developed treatment. Next question. Uh, Hannah Wallace says, you guys are always so good at creating immersive soundscapes. What are some tricks of the trade for getting audio right for various settings, be it a car, mall, lakeshore, diner, gallery, city, street, etc.? I think of how those places sound in my memory. Mm. Like, how do I remember a car sounding? And then I think, what would I have to do to create that? Cars are, are actually a unique one in that list because I like to actually record car scenes in a car because I feel like it's a very distinctive way that sound bounces around and you can tell it. And I don't think that the convolution reverb, the, I have a lot of reverbs that are cars that I don't think sound authentic enough when I, when I apply them to like a studio recording. Mm-hmm. But I do apply those, those car reverbs to recordings I made in an actual car so that I'm compounding the car reverb. So I'm putting car reverb on top of a car (laughs) recording. And that actually makes it feel much more like a car. So a lot of what I'm doing is I'm trying to heighten the way a space feels. And like other places, other things I get, like every room that's in a piece um, has some kind of room tone. And so you think, okay, well, what is the character of this space and how can, what does that mean in terms of what you hear? And so like, it could be, well, this person lives in uh, sort of an urban neighborhood that's not that nice. So you'd hear car alarms outside their window. If you hear, if they live in the country, maybe you'll hear a dog barking as you walk up to the door. Um, Another thing I think about, I think about the ventilation in the room. So like, um, like what kind of fan does this person have? Like, mm-hmm. do they have a ro- rotary fan? Do they have a ceiling fan? Do they have air conditioning? That yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and I find those steady state sounds, even though they're very subtle, they often uh, give me something to work with. 
Yeah, in the studio, I've seen you uh, have an actor deliver certain lines against a uh, like a wooden surface or against glass to if the if in the scene they're in the bathroom and it's their mirror or something like that. Because um, I guess that the bouncing off of yeah. the sound makes a difference. I, I feel yeah. like the, the, just trying to make those subtle distinctions happen right. in the studio really helps sell it. Uh-huh. Um, I think it particularly worked with uh, in the off season. There's a scene where Erica is. And, and um, Bruce are on either side of a bathroom door. And mm-hmm. Erica's leaning up against the door, trying to get him to come out. And she was actually leaning up against a wood wall. And like she was like six inches away from the wall with her voice. We had the microphones right up there. Yeah. And so you caught all those reflections off of the wood. Totally. Yeah. I mean, to give another example of how much of a difference uh, sound can make or the difference that Jonathan will make in that sketch that you just heard, uh, I didn't write in the script that there were crickets, uh, but it was this interesting thing that actually added so much more of a surprise to the reveal just because placing it in a location with crickets made me think of like a parking lot scene or like some kind of like, I don't know where they were standing, but it yeah. was outside. And I was thinking it could be like a suburb and a suburb right. and home or something like that. And, but then yeah. it could also be an outdoor wedding. But it could also be an outdoor wedding, which makes it so, I mean, it just places you in a very specific place. Uh, location incidentally with those cricket sounds um i have like like 20 different (laughs) cricket sounds to choose from (laughs) and so i was like very specific about which (laughs) which ones i used would never occur to me (laughs) (laughs) um uh, this is an interesting one from sadie may have any of the episodes made come from a dream someone on the team had well there is an episode we did called the the title became Living the Dream. Um, it was a piece by Alejandro Colini, which I think was inspired by a dream he had. Mm. I'm just, I may be making that up. I don't know. That's the only one that I can think of that would have been. I honestly, I, I don't, I don't really ask the writers what motivated them to write the story they, they did usually. I just sort of take it at face value. I don't really want to know where it came from. I just want to, I want an idea that's going it seems like it has legs and is going to plausibly be <laughs> expanded into a, a interesting script. Yeah, and once it gets going, if you think too much about where it came from, it's not going to get the momentum and take yeah. on a life of its own in the right. way that it could. You, you don't want to be tied to that so right. much. You want the freedom to be able to, to take it where it needs to go. Uh, what do you look for in stories? Like, What's your personal taste? I like it when um, it's a compelling premise where the character is, this is like really wonky, but it's mm-hmm. characters forced to take an action that the results are unpredictable. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's like, that's really like writer's manual type of thing. Right. But, but, it works. but, but that's really the most important component is to have like a, a protagonist with a strong and relatable and visceral intention. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so beyond that, I um, I like things that ha- make me think, that are surprising, observations about human behavior that feel novel and meaty and fresh. Um, it can't be something that feels too cliched. Um, I like I like things that like for example, we just did this story no- November thirty first that was pitched as a boxing story, and we had Georgie. Uh, refine it. Or jail Daco. We asked her to make it maybe a little bit like there's something about it that felt like there's a, been a lot of boxing movies, right? That's like a, in fact, 
Barton Fink is about, a writer who's tasked with coming up with a boxing movie, and he hates it because it's such a cliched, mm-hmm. like, you know, genre. But, I, but we liked the idea of this day that doesn't exist. The protagonist isn't sure if it exists or not, or, you know, waiting for a day that will never come. That idea, waiting for a day that will never come, seemed like a really potent metaphor that could be explored in an interesting way. And so we said, well, we'll see what you can do with the setting. Um, if there's like maybe a more modern, um, contemporary version of boxing, and she 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 chose uh, women's MMA fighting. Uh, I have another question from Bob Gray. Do you think any of the stories could work as visual film pieces? I loved In Good Hands and thought it would be really thrilling on screen. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, someone has that's one that a couple people have been shown interest in adapting, but it actually hasn't happened yet. But um, one of our stories, uh, That's Democracy, has been turned into a short film, which is actually on our website, I believe, if you go to the That's Democracy, or maybe it's the making of That's Democracy page. You can see the uh, the short film. You can also probably just do a web search for it. But um, uh, I know there's somebody who's making a film right now out of Can You Help Me Find My Mom? I'm not sure at what stage that's at. There's one story that we have that has been optioned for a feature film, but um, I have no idea at this stage whether that's going to happen or not. I I believe they're at the stage where they're shopping it around. Cool. Uh, So certainly not wife material uh, has a question. That's somebody's name. That's someone's handle, yeah. Um, How much of the scripts are improvised and or ad-libbed? Um, so, okay. It depends on the story. We don't do that so much anymore. We used to do it. Well, you have a very specific process. You will ask actors to, you know, do a few takes, uh, as it is in the script. And then, yeah, that's how, that's what we've sort of arrived at Mm -hmm. in the beginning, like the first couple years of the show, we experimented around a lot more with different ways of using improv. We would have very loose outlines, but that's unusual anymore. I found that the more you want to incorporate improv, the less options you leave for yourself in terms of the structure and the ways that you use sound and the location and the uses of language. You just, I mean, it's, it's, it's much more limited um, than writing a script. Writing a script, you can think things through and plan them out and give yourself the opportunity to do all kinds of things. And so I found that the opportunities that writing a script gave us were ultimately more advantageous than what I got from the improv. And that it was a lot of work to get something I really liked out of the improv. But there are a lot of things I really still really liked about it. Like, um, I like hearing people talk, like use their voice in very expressive ways that aren't necessarily linguistic. Like, I really like the specific ways that sound can communicate. And like the way a person might stutter or sit on a syllable or really it's like, I like to hear people thinking as they're talking. Yeah, that's interesting. And expressing some sort of mental process, you know. It's the last thing I would want someone to hear when I'm speaking. (laughs) (laughs) And so I like to create those opportunities. So what I'll do is I'll I'll have um, actors, we'll, we'll give them a script and then we'll do it like three or four times just to kind of learn it and get the blocking worked out. We like move around a lot too. I like to have actors use their whole bodies when we record. And, and so we get all that stuff worked out 
And then we'll, um, once we learn it, sometimes I'll say, okay, let's try it from memory. Just do it from memory. See how well you can do it. <laughs> like, oh, it's okay. You can cheat. You can cheat. If you don't get it right, it's totally fine. It's nothing. We'll just do it again. I'll just feed you the line. It's fine. You know, just try, take all the pressure off. It's not about, it's not a test. It's, it's an opportunity for them to explore the character in a different way. Mm-hmm. We do that a couple of times. And then I say, okay, do a looser take. You know, you can, you can substitute other words. You can say things in other ways, uh, whatever you want. You know, just, just, just loosen it up a little bit. Talk over one another. And then I always end by doing a free take. Where I say, okay, give me something you haven't done already. You know, sometimes if, I, if I'm working with really great improvisers or, if, uh, you know, if we have the time, um, I'll say, surprise each other. Do something the other person is not expecting, but still in character. And so I always get good material this way. And the key is I don't have to use the whole take. All I really am looking for are individ- enough individual moments <laughs> that I can string together the scene <laughs> in right. a coherent way. And um, that, those moments can come from the first take, they can come from the third take, or they can come from the last take. And it, it doesn't matter as long as I have everything I need for the scene to work. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how it works. So it's, it's a combination of scripting, improv, and editing. Yeah. The editing is, is huge and, and very interesting. I sometimes will listen to versions of early versions that Jonathan's put together, and we'll go back and forth thinking about different takes of like one word and it'll make so much I'll write paragraphs about why I think it should be like great not great <laughs> you know like something like right. as small as that yeah um, has to have this intention of yeah. like like doubt she has to have <laughs> self-doubt in the way she says that and people probably don't notice or care at all <laughs> no no I think it does usually it does it, make a difference it does, yeah. because it, it um because there are subtle things that are communicated about where a character is coming from that really for sure it makes a difference yeah. It all adds up. So I have one more question from Diary Podcast. Um, I'm sure this question has been asked a million times, but I'm a new fan. And as a fellow podcaster, I was wondering, how do you capture such amazing and crisp audio? As in, what microphone, brand, and model is used? And what is the recording method used in a recording booth? So I usually use um, AKG 414s, which actually are the mics we're talking on right now. And I've I, I like the way that they sound. They're very have a very wide frequency spectrum, and um, I just had I guess because I use them such so early on. I guess I have brand loyalty or something. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably other mics that are just as good, but I you know these are this is what I I know that I like, and I use that in combination with a Shure VP88, which is an MS uh, stereo mic. So I have these these AKG 414s in the stereo mic. The AKG 414s are placed about a foot, nine inches to a foot away from the actor. It's like a close mic. The stereo mic is put where I kind of want the listener to be, more or less. It's like the camera, you know. It's it's it gives you the perspective on the scene, and um, getting the image right is about the balance between those two microphones. Depending on what kind of environment we're trying to create. Um, I'll add a little bit of reverb on top of that that's meant to be evocative of a particular environment. And I'll put that same reverb on both the ambient and the mono mics and also any kind of, any ambiance or foley work I put in the scene so that it's all kind of it feels as though it's happening in the same space. I have a question for you. Oh, sure. Um, so you, you've been working on the show since, what, March or April? Yeah. yeah. 
What surprised you the most about the way that the truth is made? Um, I think how I think how much you you do. <laughs> I think it, it actually did uh, surprise me a lot. Um, just how much work it is. Like it feels a little bit like reinventing the wheel every episode you do, which is tough. Um, and I just didn't expect that how much of a challenge that was going to be. But now that I'm used to it, it's the most fun thing about the job because it becomes sort of this like endless little education in all the different types of podcasts you could make. You get yeah, to do all like the different one. genres. Exactly. You storytelling get to... styles. And, and it's really, right. it's like a, a chemical reaction between like the writer and me and the actors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, what are these things? How, how does this expand? <laughs> yeah. You know, I also hadn't really thought about producing as much before this job. And there is a, a like so much fun and joy of like bringing different people that, you know, from different contexts together and making like having them all create something or choosing like minds that you think might work well together is really, there's something so satisfying about watching that happen. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's, it's really hard to predict how a story is going to turn out. I, mm. I'm su- I'm surprised by that. And they don't, they don't all work as well as others. You know, like they, they work to varying degrees. The thing is like, once you try to get really prescriptive about, I like to like stay open to things, the possibility that things could work. You sort of have to follow your instincts a lot because if you get too like programmatic about like, oh, it has to have these elements, then that takes something else away from it. And really you want, you want there sort of be a spontaneity in this real surprising life to it mm-hmm. and and by not controlling it so tightly by saying okay well maybe well this will be more of a character study of this person and these two people and how they interact we'll, we'll have longer scenes in this and just let them get to know each other and that'll be the story you know and, and we'll explore character in a different way because it's not something we do very often and we might learn something really interesting from that experience about what we need in order to make a good story um, because I just, I, I guess I hate the feeling of getting into a rut where I say, okay, this is what it is. And this is what we're looking for. Like as soon as like, I remember like at a certain point I said, okay, well, we're, we're a speculative fiction show. And so that means this, this, and this. And so we're looking for something that couldn't happen in the real world, but we play it out in a realistic way. I mean, that's a nice idea that's pretty open-ended but then like as soon as i say that i feel a little dead inside but you know i don't think you, you do that very often i think you're very good at or mindful of uh, um, sure yeah no I, I backed off of it like with marina and nico who are the fantastic and talented writers who wrote the off season we asked them at first you know do you have any ideas for speculative fiction meaning something that there's where there's something that you know doesn't exist in that wouldn't exist in this world but is somehow otherworldly and yeah, something that couldn't exist. One thing that couldn't exist in the real world, but played out in a realistic way. We had, we came across this story and they, they, that they brought to us and they, it didn't have a very specific, like one specific element like that, but they no, ended it, up. It, the thing that I latched onto was, Oh, it's a home intrusion story. Mm-hmm. I like the idea that someone was living in a house right? and the person didn't know that. Right. Because it reminds me of this movie called bad Ronald. That was a made for TV <laughs> Movie ABC, I think, made made for TV movie from the seventies. Jonathan constantly references movies that I haven't seen, <laughs> and it makes me feel very no. It's like honest. not very many. People. You can go Google it. It's so anyway. I yeah, I liked the the home intrusion element of that story, but they ended up 
like completely not focusing on that. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it is good to not give too much direction because, you know. Yeah. I, I like, I like the writers to be excited about what they're yeah. doing. I feel like the story is going to turn out better if they're, they, they can follow, like have a certain passion that's driving them. Right. And if I give them too much direction, it just sort of takes all the fun out of it for them. And that takes the fun out of the story. Right. That's my theory anyway. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I like to, like the, the key is just to start with people who you really trust and really admire and think are really smart writers mm-hmm. and let them, let them do it. And then let them know if it's not working and try to help them do what they're trying to do better. Right. Rather than try to change what they're doing so much. Yeah. And it's also the business model is such that we have to release a certain number of new episodes a year um, in order to please everyone, like the listeners and the um, advertisers. Well, we get a lot of complaints about ads in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could address that. Um, yeah. We don't make a lot of money from this show. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have basically enough to pay everyone you know Davey and the writers and all the actors and the studio time but really there's not like a lot more beyond that and the only reason we're able to pay everyone is because we get advertising and uh the advertising climate and podcasting is very volatile and we started doing this mid-roll because we found that we weren't selling ads for the top of the show but if we offered advertisers a mid-roll ad we actually got ad sales that way. And so it was a way of continuing to do the show. So if it became a, a situation where if we don't have a mid-roll ad, we don't have a show. And sometimes we try different things out with it. You know, like like uh, in our most recent episode, we incorporated the um, television announcers during the ads. In the middle, it was like we were playing around with, well, what if what if we had a character do, do the ad? Um, it was clearly an ad, but it was it was still kind of in that universe. I it really just, like that because it, it keeps you in the world of the story, even though you know it's an yeah. ad. And, and it, it's really it's not like advertisers are asking us to do it one way or another. We're just trying to think creatively and, yeah, and, and make it fun. And so when you hear the ads, just just be thankful that we have them at all <laughs> <laughs> because that's what makes the show possible. Right. But I guess I will. I guess I would say that for the amount of comments that we get that are nitpicky, which it's the internet, you're going to get them. There are also a lot of really nice comments that Absolutely. I've seen, and yeah. those make our day a lot. It's the so best. I'll I'll say thanks for all the nice yeah. stuff. <laughs> We've been doing the show for. Uh, almost seven years now, and we still have a nice, sizable audience. We have a, like a lot of people who listen to the show, but to have so many people who, because it's a weird show. I mean, yeah, it's it's a really like, it doesn't have any of the elements that you would look for if you were trying to like make a hit podcast, you know. And so that we've been able to build an audience around something that is so difficult to articulate and categorize, I think, um, is a testament to the adventurousness of our audience yeah, and, the and their, their yeah. open-mindedness and their, um, um, just their incredibly good taste. <laughs> well, yeah, there, I mean, there is such an openness to, if you're going to listen to true stories, knowing that 
Because it changes every time. It's like a, the best way to get someone into the truth is to say, oh, for you, I might recommend these three episodes and then have them listen to those. Right. And it, there is something for everyone on the show, but yeah, letting some the, them... Some of the episodes yeah. are really sweet. Yeah. And some of them are really dark. So dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goal is to make them, give them something to think about, mm-hmm. like in a safe way. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think sto- that's the thing about stories is that they they give you emotional experiences in a safe context. I think they all have a concept that's interesting, and they all do make me want to talk to someone about it afterwards. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, we have a brand new story in one week. It's by Mac Rogers. It's called The Unremarkables. And then we have more new stories coming in January and February. And in the spring, we have an all-new serial that we're writing right now. And um, it's going to be really fun. Really excited about it. And again, the Radiotopia fundraiser is going on right now. You can go to radiotopia.fm to donate. And if you've ever wanted to sit in on one of our writers' meetings or get a one-on-one sound design lesson with me, now is your opportunity. Go to radiotopia.fm. You can have your choice of one of those two things for a $500 donation. But really, you can donate any amount. You can even just donate $1 because our goal for the fundraiser is to get to 25,000 donors, uh, any amount. And so if we reach 25,000, everyone who donates gets a free set of stickers. So go to radiotopia.fm right now to donate. And thank you so much for listening. Th- and thank you, Davey, for, uh, for joining me today on this thank you special episode me. of The Truth. Yeah. All right, we'll see you in one week. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>